Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Callan Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Kevin, we are two games into Summer League play. It is Tuesday afternoon. We've got another point guard on the roster. Some things to discuss. How are you, friend? Doing well. Just getting used to being watching a Summer League team, I guess, that just like has a bunch of random dudes that I like have tried to care about, but it's just... It was hard after the first two games. Let's just say that. Not that summer league play in the past has been set at a high bar because it's always summer league in in some ways, and we'll discuss this in a bit, but uh, the worst summer league team that I've seen the Suns have before. uh, I I think I can say that even with the pro oriented uh, roster and, and a lack of experience that most summer league rosters have. This one did not. It was still a, it's been the ugliest one that I've watched uh, so far, and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. But like I said, point guard signing, uh, Sham Sharania reporting that the Suns have agreed to a one-year deal with Alfred Payton. We briefly hit on this last episode when Evan Sidery of BasketballNews.com said that they were working toward a deal. Gambo reported that they had offered him a contract, and here we are a couple of days later. He comes in on the veterans' minimum. Uh, and the Suns have their third string point guard. Kevin, this is not, uh, I think we can find a delicate balance here between not getting up in arms about a guy who, who doesn't make a ton of sense for this spot, but also um, not getting too upset about it, but also just kind of having a discussion briefly about this part of the roster and thoughts on roster construction and, and things like that. So I, I will pass the baton to you there and just what are your, general thoughts, reactions to uh, Alfred Payton's return to the Valley. I don't know who put it this way, so I'm kind of stealing it, but it's not a novel idea that just imagine if the Suns had had Alfred Payton when Chris Paul missed two games uh, against the Clippers in the playoffs. Like They'd be in a lot better spot. They'd have another ball handler to kind of take a lot and allow Book to keep doing Book stuff off the ball, that sort of thing. And I know they won those two games, but just a nice insurance piece, guy who can do something off the dribble, who can bring the ball up um, against pressure and survive, like that's a really low bar. Um, And maybe you can quibble about other point guards that are on the market, but I'm – I'm fine with it if they know. I obviously book and those guys know. Is book the only one from the the Alfred Payton former Suns teams left? But yep. he, he must like him at least decently. I'm sure they ran by him or at least asked him. So I, I think it's a fine move. It's again third point guard, minimum contract. We can get into the numbers and what is left to do, and maybe that's maybe more other people's concerns, but I I think it's a fine move. It's okay. Uh, Yeah. I think the main, the main part I I hesitate not so much is, is the word to describe it, but just the main uh, question I have, and we'll find out going forward. And I think this is a question that sort of answers itself is we 
I asked you last podcast just because we know how this guy plays. We saw him for 20 games in, on the Suns, and we saw him. We've seen him in the league for quite a while now. We know the type of player Alfred Payton is. He does not stand out to me as a James Jones guy in terms of uh, 0.5, always alert, just flying around the court, that, that kind of player, right? It, it does not really stand out to me in that way. I will say that we watched him mostly on a terrible team. Uh, and on the Knicks, if you look at the Knicks as a team, um, Knicks fans were absolutely distraught at him playing whenever he played. It, it was like he was the one guy that wanted to see come off the court. And it was on a really good team. It was on a, on a really good Knicks team. But I will say that I think Alfred, for me, uh, defense was one of the things that I, I thought he was okay on the ball, but he would get lost all the time off the ball. I think just a sign of his progress probably is the fact that he earned starting time for Tibbs throughout an entire season. And I think that just shows a trust that he built at least like defensively and in terms of, in terms of leading a team. So I think that that's like a good indicator potentially of like the growth that he's had since he was in Phoenix. If you guys aren't familiar and you're, you're kind of newer around here, don't blame me if you are, uh, Alfred Payton was acquired in the 2017-18 season just before the trade deadline. The Suns had a slew of draft picks that year. That was heading, of course, into the 2018 draft where they had 116 and 31. And I believe that they had another second-round pick after that as well. Uh, and they gave up uh, some pick in the, in the 30s or 40s that turned into Jared Vanderbilt to get Alfred Payton at the trade deadline, and it gave them a point guard because they were mainly using Tyler Eulis and a bunch of other guys that year because they had to trade Eric Bledsoe three games into the season because he didn't like being at a hair salon. Payton came in and gave them a point guard. He gave them a guy who could kind of run the offense, make reads, that kind of stuff, but he, he's never been much of a scorer, and I think um, – or like a he's never been – Strong at the two things you want a point card to be strong at, I think, in my opinion, which are, or I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. I, I would say any other supplementary skill outside of being like a point guard, running the offense, making reads, that kind of stuff. Anything outside of that, shooting, scoring, defending, all that stuff was kind of weaknesses in his game. If you look at his shot profile over the course of his career, he's taken pretty much fifty percent of his total shots in the league at this point at the rim. And then the other 35 to 45% have been from the mid range. And then you're talking about a guy who only takes uh, like around 10% of his total shots from three point range. And uh, over the course of his career, there is no strong indicator of efficiency anywhere. Really. Um, it's all really below average. Of course, his three point shooting numbers last year, he shot 29% for the Knicks uh, from three the year before 21%. That was only on that was on 97 attempts last year and the year before that with the Knicks when he played 45 games, it was only 63 attempts. So he's not someone taking them for sure Uh, at the rim. 55 percent. That's not really that good from the mid range last year. Thirty six percent. And the year before that, 40, 39, 37. So it's there are really any strengths to a scoring game. and, And that's where he can he can hurt you. And that's why he's in the position he's in right now. He leaves the Suns. Signs a minimum kind of deal with uh, the Pelicans, I believe, for like $3 million. Gets a two-year $16 million offer from the Knicks with the team option for the second year. They decline the team option, bring him back for, I think, $4 million a year. And, and now he's kind of at that point now where he's just trying to stay in the NBA, essentially. And he gets a good spot here. I think that's the main the main question I have, though, Kevin, is like, are you going to – is it going to hinder the team at all to have a guy like him 
as opposed to Etwan Moore, where I felt like as long as Etwan, it, it's the balance, right? I think that's that's where I'll pass it to you, Kevin, and ask you is like, would you rather have the guy with point guard experience doing point guard stuff, or would you rather have someone who kind of fits in everywhere else? Like you won't have to worry about him as a team defender, as a passer, as a shooter, because that's like basically the exact uh, like duality dichotomy, whatever you want to phrase it as between someone like each one and someone like Alfred in that spot. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I mean, I think it depends what you have around them. And to me, like Shamit um, campaign, you have Chris Paul and Booker, like that's generally, if you even take out two of those guys in any combination, I think that Alfred brings something different and I think those other guys could all run the offense or provide enough in the areas where you can hide Alfred's weaknesses. The, the shooting, I guess, would be the one main thing where it's like Alfred needs to have the ball in his hands and that's more difficult to like fit in than Etwan where you plug in Etwan, he runs the offense, right? Like I, I think that might be a little more difficult for Alfred not that he's unwilling, but it's like, okay, if he's running the offense, this specific offense, how does he get his assist? How does he create for others? So I, I think that balance is going to be a little harder than it would be for Etwan or Langston Galloway or just these guys that will come off screen, shoot, that kind of thing. So maybe more of a difficult fit as far as finding comfort, but I do think that there's value in having more ball handlers. And again, I'll stand on that hill and die on it, I guess, about this team's issues last year. Yeah, it, it was – there were slight problems they ran into, and something that Jarrett Carlin brought up when I was on Bickley Murata a couple of weeks ago was that if you're looking at Chris's contract now and looking at it for him potentially being here for three years, or I, I think the fourth year seems pretty unlikely, but who knows? Maybe it will be around. But you've got this long-term commitment to him now, and load management is something that like has to be considered, especially coming off the year that they are, which is a two-month break, a little under two-month break for them before going back to training camp. So I think that Chris getting a couple games off here and there is something I think that is in the back of their heads. And I think this type of move even signifies that, solidifies that even more. That if you look at it, like Alfred coming in, it's almost like Alfred feels better as a backup point guard as, a, as opposed to a third string, like fill in point guard. Does that make sense, Kevin? I don't know if that makes sense at all, but yeah. 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 Can, yeah. So like a, if you think about him like that, where it's like, well, actually like more of how he's going to fill in is just being in campaign spot for five to 10 to 15 games. However long you would want to manage load, manage Chris Paul. If you think about it, I, I think that's where he brings in some value and where the signing makes more sense to me. And I think that's what we're going to see. So that's, that's kind of my full thoughts on it. What's interesting now is, is what happens from here, which is that the Suns have one roster spot. They have one two-way spot available as well. They still have their four and a half million dollars of MLE left, which again, we talked about last episode, they could be, Gambo saying they could be looking to use that on the buyout market. And you've also got your biannual exception, which is not going to be something it would be difficult for them. They would, they could figure out a way to use it next year before becoming a tax team. But once you become a tax team, it goes away. So they've got those two, obviously they've only got one spot left for now. 
So they can't use both uh, unless they get the buyout guy later, which I think might be the direction we're heading. If, if you kind of look at what's logical and what's left to do, are you fine with the way the roster looks right now, Kevin? Uh, a lot of people seem not fine and really want to see them add another piece, most notably at the four. How are you feeling about it? I uh, So one thing that's Gamble has brought up kind of in just what news he relays is, okay, if they have the remaining mid-level, they have the biannual, but they only have one roster spot. If you're going in for it this year, you would think you want to use both of those. And, and to me, that has indicated there's a possibility for a trade. Um, and, and that was before today, just by the pure numbers, one roster spot, two decent contracts you could still hand out. Um, even if they want to remain under the tax, I think that's doable still. If I'm not mistaken, but um, that that's on the table. And I think... I saw a lot of people wanting Thad Young if the Suns somehow got into that whole mess between those teams. They're still trying to work out trades and all that. They're being investigated, too, by the NBA for tampering. But, yeah, I think the power forward spot is just a salty subject for fans right now because that was, especially after Dario's injury in the finals, already the, okay, when they make a big upgrade this offseason, that's where it's going to be, right? When that didn't happen, you re-signed Frank. Before Summer League, you say, Jalen Smith, okay, we need him to make a big jump. Maybe he just locks, clocks into that spot where you have the bigger four who can switch to a five, maybe um, shoot, run some point, rebound as far as point five, not point guard. Um, but now, <laughs> two games into the Summer League, people are just, I think, panicking over it more and they just see a team that okay you added JaVale McGee maybe Frank can play the the passing ball moving big man spot um but it, it still just looks like the same roster and I think that in general has people upset so I, I guess that's where I would say but you have to tell me like Paul Millsap's out there and it would make a big difference or you have an idea of how you're going to slot him in um but but obviously this team doesn't think that he would be that much better than like a Frank Kaminsky. And I don't know what's right. He probably would be an upgrade over Frank Kaminsky. And we still don't know how they're going to do that. And that's the thing right now for me is it's a dead market. Like Dennis Schroeder is struggling to find a team. Kelly Oubre struggled to find a team. Like I, I think they can be patient. So I, I would, I would just caution not to be like they've done nothing because there's still lots of guys on the market and they're just trying to get the best deal from a business perspective where they don't need to overpay because the market is just dead right now. Yeah. It's, it's uh flatlined Kev. I, I want to say one thing and then ask you a quick question. So I think that there is a balance between understanding that uh, fans on the team want to see better players on the team with that in mind, I think that every single trade, signing, drafting a player, whatever, there always has to be a stream of thought on seeing it from the player's perspective, seeing it from the team's perspective, seeing it on the court, stylistically, roster-wise. So I ask you, Kevin, if you bring in Paul Millsap or Thaddeus Young, what is their role on the team? 
Uh, I think it's just what Dario was. I mean, and so are they? Are they the first big off the bench? Thad more certainly would be, I think, than yeah, Paul Millsap because I think he's like everyone was like they got the better player in the trade with DeRozan. Like, I I think he's had a good year. I honestly did not watch them very much last year, but um, he obviously isn't going to play the five necessarily, but I think you then say, okay, then you run a JaVale, Thad Young, um, Cam Johnson front line off the bench, something like that, and you have a full 10-man rotation. Um, I like that, and you just fiddle around with the roles and don't have it so much like five out as they did last year when Dario was at the five. So I think you can make it work. Um, and, yeah, Thad Young's a lot different because of he plays a different position, really. So I think you can make it work. He's better, too. Yeah, Thad is – I think it was Zach Lowe on his podcast last week or a week ago said like Thad's going to get a first round pick like that. He's a guy that a lot of teams would want and should have a decent asking price, which makes sense because he's that young. He's still a quality, good player. But my point on that is I'm just not exactly sure on the appeal. Now, Thad Young would be a trade, so it's that doesn't matter as much for him. But someone like Millsap, for example, he's going to come in here and have this role where he's ninth man, essentially. I don't think he's playing the five minutes, so he would be playing behind Crowder. Um, But then from there, like, he would be playing some nights. He wouldn't be playing some nights. I'm not even sure the appeal for him beyond being on a contender unless he wants to be in a role where he doesn't play as much, which, again, that's kind of my point I'm getting to, Kevin, is, like, at a certain point, um, Alfred Payton, it's it's funny that the reporting timeline kind of worked out that way, right, because – we Gambo reports like what, like four or five days ago that he gets offered the contract and he waits around for a bit as you would expect, because he knows like he's going to come here and sit on the bench for most of the year. If everything goes according to plan, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to get a chance to prove himself and he just wants to play because anyone else would want to in that situation. But that's just the point in his career that it's reached right now. So I, I, I think that's the kind of the part we've gotten away from. I also think it's been branded into people's brains that this team really, really needs rebounding just because of the way one series unfolded. Um, it's not like this team was a terrible rebounding team before they just ran into an elite offensive rebounding team. That was offensive rebounding in the playoffs, like few teams we've seen in the last decade. And it just, I don't know. And I think, I think it set up the wrong thought process in terms of what, what exactly this team needs. They need size, but I feel like JaVale was the answer. Um, and, and I just don't, I think the Suns would be better and they should bring in someone like Millsap or Thad if they can. But at the same time, I don't think it's something to be very urgent about and treat like it is this make or break kind of thing that pushes them over the top to the best team in the Western Conference, undoubtedly. I don't see that. Yeah, right. I I see people getting excited over the Thad Young thing, and I think that is a different, completely different conversation where it's, I, yeah, I think if you traded – whatever contracts like Dario and Jalen Smith, whatever the math is to get a Thad Young, like that is a usable player who's bringing a a really different new dynamic that they didn't have last year. And I think people just like the excitement, but also Thad Young is a better player than those guys. And so I, I think maybe you could say that, but that's, that's a really complex situation that I don't want to get into just from the other teams' perspectives. Um, 
So, yeah, that would be nice. That would upgrade your team for sure. You could put a stamp on it. This team got a lot better, I think. But um, as it stands, you, I think the James Jones philosophy, you don't want to rock the boat unless there's an obvious, this is an upgrade. And, you know, Chris Paul was an upgrade over Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, like that type of thing where it's just like a no-brainer. So otherwise, you, you keep the same group together and you roll with it you consider Shamit and JaVale, you know, more diverse pieces, even Alfred to some degree, and, and you give it another shot. I think, I think that's the bottom line. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, before we move on to summer league and kind of close out there, you, we mentioned, or you mentioned Dario plus Jalen. That is something that, um, has been talked about for a couple of months now. Suns fans just kind of looking at potential avenues to improve the team. I know our buddy Mike Veal from the Timeline Podcast has been looking at that specifically as like that's perhaps where you can get the most enticing trade package. Uh, he was talking about Javon before Javon was even moved um, as someone who made sense that they could potentially move to make the team better. So, and that's where you say we should end the conversation, which I agree because Dario's out for most of the year. So the team's taking on dead weight in that. And then they're, um, reward for doing that is a bit is basically Jalen Smith, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But then that's just like getting off. You you can't view that as getting off of Dario's contract because you're giving up value in the deal, like giving up Thad Young in this hypothetical example. And as you said, Kevin, NBA is looking into stuff over there. So like, don't want to don't want to get interested. A, yeah, even if they're yeah. interested in such things, it's like. I don't. Do you, I think we're do gonna have think to Tom, wait on that. Do you think the Bulls can even take trade calls right now? <laughs> yeah, they're probably just like on lockdown. Like you're not allowed to do anything. What are you doing? Just like any GM for the league calls, be like, "Hey, how's the DeRozan deal coming? Uh, what uh, deal for who? Which DeRozan are you talking about again? <laughs> Isn't that amazing how they did that again back to back years? Excellent oh. drama in the NBA. Yeah, indeed. Not much drama in the summer league, Kev. Uh, it has been a tough watch to see the Suns over their first two games. They lose to the Lakers Sunday night. They lose to the Lakers Monday night. Um, I like a handful of the players we've seen on the team. Uh, of course, it, the group is headlined by Jalen Smith, uh, number 10 pick in the 2020 draft. Didn't play summer league last year. Barely played in the regular season. His big spot in the rotation essentially was in the season opener when DeAndre got in foul trouble and then Damian Jones got in foul trouble. Dario was still dealing with like an ankle thing from the preseason or something like that uh, or quad thing. It was one of those things. Uh, and then they had to play Jalen Smith basically. And he actually looked pretty, pretty good. He wasn't that bad, but then uh, yeah, but then he, he doesn't play in the rotation People keep asking, why isn't he getting a shot? If you think about it for five seconds and why he's probably not playing, you can come to your conclusion. Um, He goes to the G League bubble, looks okay, but that's like such a horrible environment to like look at someone's game. I I don't know how you can come away with that with any real opinions or analysis. And he comes into Summer League, Kevin, and we have seen the good. We have seen the bad, and I think to tie in our conversation from last week. I think the thing me and you wanted to see the most was him looking like one of the guys who wasn't getting sped up, was playing in a certain rhythm and just looked like a guy who had been playing with an NBA team last year, practicing with an NBA team last year. 
this is like Tyrese Maxey. I watched him for two minutes play against the Mavericks. And then he realized, oh, your ball screen defense is not like NBA ball screen defense. So I'm just going to score 21 points in the first half or whatever it was. Right. I'm not asking for that kind of thing out of Jalen Smith, but those moments where he is kind of blending in with almost everyone else in terms of like the turnovers and the mistakes and that kind of stuff, that, that type of stuff you wanted to see cleaned up. Um, did not see that in these first two games. And I think that's where I turn to start the conversation more than anywhere else. Uh, and that's the part where at least starting at the very, very top of the highest expectations in terms of maybe he's a part of the rotation next year. Again, two summer league games, super small sample size, nothing to really go off of to make declarative statements, but we're starting an indication, Kevin, that he might need more time. Yeah. And I think it says a lot that, Rightly so, they are playing him like he would play on the Suns, which is not in a future featured role. And I think they're trying to protect him and his confidence and all that because, you know, you see him running the offense through the high, you know, swings, um, taking open threes, you know, transition attacks, simple stuff and not forcing it. And I appreciate that they're doing that because I think just you look at the percentages, you look at the types of shot he's capable of making and we shouldn't, no one should expect that he should be, you know, running the offense through him and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's the big thing with him is he is raw. Um, he has a shot and it sometimes is an air ball. Like that's, that's where we're at with him and the energy stuff. Um, is good to see, you know, there was the running the floor, stealing off a dude, getting low post position on a guard and getting easy buckets, stuff like that. He can really excel at. He's killing it on the boards. Um, defensively, I haven't seen him do terrible things, although he's, you know, not left a non-shooter in the corner, stuff like that, maybe here and there. More, so, more, more of like no impression from there. Yeah. There were a couple of times where he's on a switch with a guard on him and I'm actually like yelling at the TV for the guard to go at him so we can see how his feet are moving. Yeah. Looked okay. Yeah. It's and been fun. nothing egregious on that end, but maybe no. just like not knowing personnel, which I don't know personnel in the summer league. So maybe it's <laughs> difficult. Um, but yeah, it's, I think the problem with just them picking him there is, I don't think he's a four and I've been on that train for a long time. And okay. If he's a center, well, they're not playing him as a center. They're not playing him as a rim roller at all. They're not playing him as a featured guy because I I think he honestly is only a rim roller at this rate. Um, The three point shots, not good enough. So what do you do? I don't know if, if they have faith that they can develop him into a four man, that's fine. That's their job to know, but it says everything that, they think he's a four. They signed JaVale. They re-signed Frank. Like, why would you play him over one of the wings where you, you're in a good spot roster-wise? So it, it is just like, a okay, we got to keep developing this guy. And if there's a trade, someone thinks they see something in him, then, yeah, maybe use him as a trade ship. So that's that's where we're at, honestly. It is where we're at, indeed. What is uh, Charlie Day's character on uh, Always Sunny? What's his name? in the show. Oh, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Oh, he's just named Charlie. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, there's the meme of him, like, uh, coming up with conspiracy theories, whatever. Like I haven't even actually seen the episode. You're still mad at me for not seeing always sunny. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've tried twice. I'll try a third time for all my friends who I'm like the only person I know who doesn't like it, but just couldn't get into it. Kev. I'll keep trying. Um, uh, 
He's pointing at the board. He looks like out of his mind. He's like theorizing, right? Imagine me in front of a blank whiteboard. I'm going to draw it out. I think this is where we're at with him. You've got a guy who is 6'10", 7'2", wingspan, moves well up and down the floor, has an undeniable, clear NBA trait of having that physical athleticism package plus a really good motor. So you have this thing where, and I wrote this in my thing last night, is that like he is going to impact basketball games. If you play him for long enough in a basketball game, he is going to get offensive rebounds, block shots, whatever it is. The main two things that he has to do in order for that to be playable and, and for him to like enter a rotation basically and allow that to impact games is, and this is where you start to like uh, – it crawls up your spine a bit, Kev, is what we talked about a lot with Dragon Bender, where Dragon would go out there and just, it, it, it was a completely different kind of context, but Dragon would go out there and like make smart team defense plays, make a good pass or two, but then he would step out of bounds, travel another time, and then miss three of his five shots or four, three of his four shots. And then when you looked at that entire shift, you were like, he was a negative on the court, despite the things that he was doing well in like the team oriented aspects of the game, which is what we really liked about his game when he first came out of the draft and what we liked when we saw him on the court, when he was playing well. And with Jalen, it's sort of the opposite where not really the opposite, but just different where if he can figure out a way to just be in the right spots, not make mistakes in terms of just being on an NBA court, being in the right spot, knowing the sets, not getting in the way, while also being in the right spot defensively, not being a step out of the direction in, in that kind of sense, and then be a knockdown three-point shooter, which again, with where he was drafted, one of his biggest skills was his shot. And that was the thing you were really excited about him off movement. You can talk about all that kind of stuff. How about just being a floor spacer in general? So if he can be a guy who's in the right spot a lot and is, and is a decent three-point shooter for a big, which is like you're hoping for 36 37% because I know the league averages are going up and stuff, but a good three-point shooter at that size is 36 37 If he can be there, not make mistakes, you're getting a plus player because he's going to be on the glass, he is going to be blocking shots, he is going to be running in transition, he's going to be getting deep seals, that kind of stuff. And in these two games – we have seen his instant impact stuff come together. Again, in this game last night, he started off one of nine, but eventually he hit four of his next six shots and had eight of his 15 rebounds on the offensive glass. Like He is going to do that in a game eventually. But the problem with his development is just those two other areas. And then the interesting thing, Kevin, is that they're trying to, again, to your point and something we've talked about with him since the day he was drafted, I was just – I did not see a future four in there. I saw a guy who could play maybe maybe play some four if you needed him to, a combo big, sure, but you wanted to play him at the five, not only to accentuate his strengths, which is something me and David Kevin have talked about all the time, but there wasn't a lot there in terms of skill development for the four, but they're really trying to – you can see him trying to do dribble stuff. And what I learned from watching him in these first two games – is that his handle is getting better, but now he has to learn how to be a driver, Kevin. Like he has to learn how to drive with the guy on his shoulder. Basically he has to learn with his lack of explosiveness for like, against like the, the, the modern NBA power forward. He needs to learn how to, when he gets that first step and takes a dribble, get that bump with your shoulder and to create a little bit of separation, because we saw it a couple of times in last night's game. And we saw it in the first game too, 
where he just dribbled twice and couldn't get anywhere. It wasn't just a straight line drive where he could get there because the defender was cutting off his space. This is at the G this is at the below the G league level. We're talking about summer league basketball too. So they're trying to develop that too. And I kind of wonder, I wonder, do you keep going for it? Do you keep trying to develop him at the four? I think I know your answer to this and I know my answer to it too, but do you go back to what I was talking about at the start of this whole thing where I'm in front of the whiteboard, which is just teach him how to be in the right spots and get the three point shot, get it to keep improving and being more consistent. So you can at least have him on the court and don't worry about turning him into the next Pascal Siakam or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I already said it, but I just don't understand like people, I tweeted like he he's going to play the Dario spot or whatever, and people got mad like, well, JaVale's that. And it's like, no, JaVale's a completely different player, even if they're playing center. And, and regardless of where you're playing Jalen, I, I just think that there's a danger with these young guys where the mistakes, the you know offensive fouls, the stepping out of bounds, dribbling off your own foot, like the you put too much on him and the confidence starts to kill the shot. The confidence starts to kill the defensive efforts in, in some guys. I'm not saying I know if he's that guy or not, but I would rather just say, Hey, you're a center because we know you're a good shot blocker and an athlete. Even if you're a thin and undersized and your name is sticks, you're still a good shot blocker, alter shots, play on the perimeter and defend decently take threes you can stretch the floor I don't see why having a different type of backup center is a bad idea plus like the way he's playing the four now I just think he's you're taking him further away from the hoop to get to take away rebound and block shot opportunities so I just don't understand between the simplicity to some degrees of the center position and I know that's more responsibility from a defensive play calling talking to guys thing, but I I just feel like that's easier to learn than, Hey, let's do dribble stuff that you weren't ever good at or passing stuff that you didn't really flash in college. I I just don't understand from that perspective, I guess. And the most, and when we, when you say he did, didn't do it in college, Kevin, like he took two dribbles in a straight line, like when a closeout and attacked closeout in that sense. But in terms of like facing up on a guy and beating him off the dribble, like that's a whole nother ballpark we're talking about. And I'm glad you turned it that way, Kevin, and brought the conversation there because this goes back to draft night again and exactly what we were talking about with value. And, and that's where I that's why I posed the question because do you take the L essentially on, okay, maybe this guy's just a backup center, the aspirations we had picking him 10th overall and seeing him as someone who could play next to DeAndre in some spurts, do we just move on from that? And do we play him now strictly, try to just turn him into an NBA player at this point? And that would be a lot easier to do if you were basically playing him as a backup five. You develop him for another year. JaVale's contract expires. Now you've got your backup five. And look, again, it's not like he can't, he shouldn't play the four for more than 10 minutes a game, Kevin. But can you get him up to, I mean, if DeAndre's out there for 32, he's playing 16. Can you give him 20 minutes a game? Sure. You can play him for like four or five minutes at the four. You don't need to have him develop as a, as a dribble guy. You just need him to be like a little bit better defensively laterally, which I think we've already seen the lateral part, especially because at Maryland, it was really rough. Um, and I think like, that's the question essentially, like, do you kind of 
move away from that intention of him being like a serious long-term piece in this, in this team and just kind of look to develop him into more of a player that you can use for the next two years, Kevin, because uh, we're talking about his team option, which is coming up <laughs> for that third year, right? Like the third and fourth years of that uh, contract are coming up. So you wonder about that too, right? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, to like scale back here, they they do have the comfort of, okay, you have him if you can't trade him and you still believe in the kid, who he is and all that stuff. They're not in a super rush. Like you just sign him to the third year and then you obviously need him to show up in the fourth year and be a rotation piece, right? Because you get a rotation piece out of it for a year even, that's fine um, if you don't need him sooner. Because I don't think, again, I don't think they necessarily need him, need him. Um, to me, though, like, at the end of the day, he doesn't necessarily need to be a dribble guy, right? Like, Frank can play the four in this offense. Um, he's not a guy you want dribbling around, even though he does a little bit here and there. But I, I think Jalen can handle that much. And it's just a matter of, okay, when you're on 15 minutes, if they start the beginning of the season is going to be interesting because if they give him like 15 minutes a game and just say, Hey, you're going to go make mistakes, but we're giving you the chance to build and gain a little confidence. I think that's where more than summer league, even we could be like, all right, like he can, he can survive. He'll provide 15 minutes or 10 minutes game and and then maybe grow from there. So I think that's a bigger thing for me because I think again, just right now, how, this team is constructed in the summer league around him. You're not necessarily, he's not going to be in the best positions anyway. I mean, guys are not really doing anything to pull any attention away from him either. And, you know, again, you can't run the offense through the power forward who you don't necessarily want dribbling again. So it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I I would put a lot on the situation around it right now, as far as just that team too. There is no way for me to have a lot of confidence in what we've been talking about for the last five minutes, just because we have, I I have confidence in it, but in terms of the minimum amount of confidence I could have, that's where I'm at Kevin, because at the end of the day, we're talking about the G league bubble and this summer league team, especially Um, I I saw a couple of Suns fans who I think are right. And kind of saying, if you know, you've got Jalen on this team, really look for a pass first point guard as your as your starting point guard, like a true floor general. And I think the other, the other Jalen Smith to, uh, I don't want to like label him as such, but I think that's kind of unfortunately what he's going to be known for, for on these summer suns, at least has, I think he's actually played well. I think he's been one of their better players, but certainly not like a pass first guy, as, as you can tell, like more of a, more of a scoring point guard than anything. Let's, let's go through the rest of the roster kind of quickly. Uh, I wrote about Tyshawn Alexander, uh, last night, he has been taking, and to your point, Kevin, I think they had clear kind of, we are going to have you focus on this here. Like Jalen is going to, they're not going to have him be a focal point of the offense. They're going to have him play as a four. Uh, and Tyshawn, it's like, you're going to get those mid-range shots up, kiddo. And I don't know, I would have to go back and watch, but I think that at least like half of his shots have come from the mid-range, and I think even more. And he looks pretty comfortable there, Kevin. And for people who don't really know his game, it was interesting to see Brian Randall kind of describe him as a scorer because at Creighton, he was three and D point guard, basically that that's kind of what you looked at him as, right? Like he could, he could do stuff. He could get some stuff done off the dribble, but in terms of him being like a scorer or a playmaker, it wasn't really that it was more of, okay, stick him with a guy who can run the offense from the two. He can space the floor, decent three point shooter and an awesome defender, which is why you want him on the court. 
Uh, but now he's showing some mid-range stuff, Kevin, and he's he's right alongside Javon and, and campaign as the guys that I heard about the most in the past year who were in there, who were in the facility working the most. Like he said, he took a day and a half off when they got back from the finals and he was right back in the gym again to get ready for summer league. Um, I, I've been impressed by him. Yeah, I kind of see him like a, I mean, maybe he does fill that each one role, right? Where he's, he's not really a point. He's not really a shooting guard, but you know, you add the, a little better defender as far as upside, at least, um, kind of a tweener between the two guard spots can run the offense, but definitely has enough off the bounce game and has a mid range, even though Etwan's mid range is more floaters and stuff. But I just think he's a solid guy where you look at that and it's like, yeah, we, we have a rotation piece, hopefully in the future, if you keep him around to provide that just like when Chris Paul, I don't even remember what Chris Paul was out with, but where Eton just plug him in. He knows it. He knows how to play um, either guard spot. I think that's kind of his, his role. I dig it. Uh, shout out to their uh, shout out to them for Scott, for finding someone. It's, it's difficult. I think we talk about how useful two way guys are. And we had the conversation when they sold the G league team and all that kind of stuff. Like you need to use these spots and, and find a way to develop there, but it's also, you can stick bodies there, but finding someone who shows promise and then also is improving and also seems like someone who could theoretically fit, fit in with your style, fit in with how you would want to use that player's skill set. Like it, it looks like a, a good ad, Kevin. Like it, it was someone who made sense anyway. Like I think Tyshawn just should have been on an NBA roster or on a two-way spot coming out of the draft. And you come in and you bring a guy who's clearly like working hard and really improving. So it was, it was a good find by them. And I say that, regardless of like if he works out in the NBA or not. I think they've they did well in, in using that spot for sure. Use the Do, other one. It doesn't count against the monies. <laughs> Please. It, well, it, they have to pay him, Kevin, but they uh Okay, does, it's they, real they, they money. Make, it's not salary cap, yes. Okay. Feel like I have to clarify that. Uh, it is real money. <laughs> yeah, it is, unfortunately. Not not monopoly money. Uh, any other quick hits on the rest of this roster, Kevin? I think that we've both kind of enjoyed uh, Jalen Smith, the point guard, Nate Mason, a little bit in terms of just they seem to have a good, and that's where I go back to Jalen Smith out of Maryland, the former first-round pick, where I watched Jalen Smith, the point guard, Nate Mason. Um, Justin Simon out of Arizona has been like a wild a time or two, but he's playing consistently downhill and it seem, seems to make good things happen, at least when he's kind of moving the ball. Uh, and I, I, those are the three guys who have stood out to me the most uh, Alexander, Kyle Alexander, the center who's been starting. He's been, he's been all right, but I think those have been the main three to me. Anything else there? No, I mean, yeah, Kyle Alexander, I, I feel like I haven't even looked at the numbers, but it feels like they've been really good on the boards, offensive boards for all the shots that they've missed playing good defense to still be in the jazz game, that was just what they shot 24%. If you're in a game that you shot 24%, you're probably trying on defense. So give them credit there. Indeed. Uh, and that's the credit that I kind of gave them to wrap up uh, last night's piece is just that like, yes, you can look at this team and say they shot 24% from the field and scored 57 points last night, but they played really hard. And again, they just, they find their guys. And even on the summer league team, they just find a bunch of dudes who play hard and, and you can tell that there's sort of that 
effect happening where you can see like their bench really getting into the game and just them like kind of pumping each other up with like the big plays and like the breakthrough shot finally hitting. Um, you can tell that like the, the, those types of guys playing together who play in that style and play hard. It just, it just produces good things, Kevin. They know what they're doing up there. Um, as far as the future, bud, it is, it is Tuesday, August 10th. We're looking at, I believe media day is late September, the last week of September, but in terms of between here and now, I don't really know uh, how much we're going to see the podcast uh, from Ben Kev um, taking next week off. Uh, we will be back. I think if we need to be, is that the way we want to put it? When there's a reason when they trade for Thad young, when that mess gets sorted out or something, <laughs> when the mess gets sorted out. Yeah. Uh, and, and we say this because we've been weekly. I don't know if you've been noticing. I don't know if like I, I don't even think I bring it up or you bring it up that we've been doing it weekly, but we do this thing weekly, but I think we're going to take a couple of weeks off here at least. But uh, again, we could very well be back later tonight or tomorrow or a couple of days from now, if they do something else uh, worth coming back for, I'm sure if they fill out the roster with someone who using that biannual or uh, that MLE money, we'll, we'll have a couple like 15, 20 minutes to give thoughts on them and just the final Roster construction going forward, but stuff we've been hitting on the last couple of weeks as well. How are you doing, bud? Are you are you ready for training camp? Are you ready for Cardinals? Isn't that crazy? Preseason starts Friday. My mind just had to do a complete flip of like my responsibilities, and I'm sure yours did too. But <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a wild fall. Just again, everything smashed together. It feels like schedule wise. It's a very intriguing team. That's the thing. Like, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but it's ex- it's it, it's ex- intriguing no matter what because Kyler's the quarterback, but they've got like a ton of pieces all over. Like, I'm fascinated to watch Simmons and Collins together. I have no idea if it's going to be a train wreck or awesome, but I think it's going to be lean more. It's going to lean heavily in one of those two directions. I think. Tall, fast trees, my friends. Tall, fast you, trees. You got to find the trees that move, Kevin, and move quickly. <laughs> if you find a stationary tree and put it in middle linebacker, you're not going to have much success. No. Uh, we hope you find your fast trees and not your stationary uh, oak trees. And instead the six, four, 240 pound linebackers who run fast trees uh, like the Cardinals did. And uh, we'll see you guys when we see you. That's kind of ominous. I guess I should, I'm only going to make it weirder, Kevin. All right. Bye everyone.